Hello and welcome. My name is Dr. Joanna Bucknell and you are listening to Talking About Immersive Theatre Podcast or T-A-I-T for short. So this is the strand of Tate in which I collaborate with the Immersive Experience Network to bring you content from the Creative Huddle series. So this is the second episode of the first huddle, which was recorded on the 20th of February, 2023 at the Bridwell Theatre in London. And this is the second um, talk of the evening, which was Chloe Masseter talking about LARP. So without any further ado, I am going to let you access this rather wonderful content. Everyone can hear me? Great. Um, hi, I'm Chloe. I've worked in immersive performance for about 10 years and I've worked in live gaming, so tabletop, mega game, street gaming, LARP, etc., for about five. So this is what I'm going to talk about. I'm assuming that people in this room are moderately or low familiarity with LARP rather than I'm seeing nods. Great. Um, so LARP stands for live action role playing game. Um, that means basically each person who is playing the game has their own individual character. Sometimes you might occasionally have more, but you've got your own personal character you are playing and you are doing what that character is doing. You're not sat around a table describing what they're doing. You are being that character. That's the live aspect of it because you can have digital versions. Most people, when they hear LARP, they imagine this, people in a field, etc., hitting each other with sticks. It's great. I've done it. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm mainly talking about this version. Um, where there's no expectation of costume, set, props. You're going to do it in about three to four hours, including the setup. Um, and you're probably doing it with anywhere up to maybe 30 people at most, but often with like eight or 10. Um, but you might be doing it with 30 for doing like a kind of theatrical version, like some of the ones uh, that I've done myself. So that's kind of what I'm talking about here. Um, briefly. Things that it's great for and why it's difficult. Um, I really love feeling like a resident in a world and not a tourist. I feel like a tourist in especially immersive shows where I go. I interact with people. I learn about the world. I maybe have a little bit of an impact, but then I leave and my presence didn't really mean anything. I don't have authority in the world like a resident. I just go around and learn about it. But with LARP, people have a level of authorship, they have control, they have authority. You're not going to an actor saying, OK, so what's the deal with this place? You are making that decision. That means a high level of trust in the people who are playing and you need to build a shared culture of play. People need to know what game they are playing with together and you need to help coach people to play well with each other. Also, so I'm going to talk so quick because I'm trying to fit a lot in. Um, it, I love stuff that tells people they are good storytellers, that their input has worth. And I hate going to a show that pretends that it's doing that and then doesn't care about what I'm doing. And that sounds like I'm really into me. I swear it's just about people. Um, but in LARP, it's specifically about saying you're really good at storytelling. Give your creativity to this thing. Obviously, a difficult thing. You've got to write to leave space for that. If you're writing a LARP, you are not writing the cool moment for someone else to do. You are creating the space in which other people can make their own cool moments. It has a wide range of experiences, styles, tones, emotional impact, which is fantastic. The sheer scope and scale of different LARPs people write is brilliant. But you need to be so clear about what people are coming into. I would say because with LARP, people have more agency. It means that they also have more ability to screw up the whole thing. Um, if you set your expectations well, they won't want to do that. And you will have self-selected the people who want to contribute to it. 
Um, then also character-led action, which I really love about LARP. Normally you start by making the character and that defines the things that happen and things that you do, rather than with some immersive forms or interactive forms where you are given a task to get you involved and how you perform that task will kind of inform character and such like. But that means you have to spend a lot of time building investment in character. I'm gonna claim this time back. Wait, there we are. Um, I've got my own asterisk here. It sounds a little bit pretentious, but you don't write a LARP, you co-write a LARP because all of the players are creating their own content and feeding into it. And really fundamentally, when you're writing a LARP, you are basically going, here's what I get to decide and establish, and here's what is gonna be left to the players to decide and establish. So I've got a few things that if you are new to writing LARPs, like the sections that I would expect you to go through to establish yourself. And each of them essentially is the answer to a different question players might have. So scenario, what fiction am I stepping into? My theory about story is loosely, a story is a description of change. I can talk about that more later if wanted. But basically, you are saying, what is the scenario that people are stepping into? What is the world? What is the context for change to happen? And the players come in and they actually write the story. And for me, it's slightly expressed by going, you are saying, what's happening? What is currently going on in the world? And they then tell you what happens. They actually write the story. <laughs> Thank you. I can see Andy operating this for me. Um, so if you come from a background where you're used to just scripting beats um, or do, scripting in a linear narrative and it's hard to not think about the story that you want to happen and the things you want people to end up doing because it would be really cool, this is just a really handy exercise. If, say, you're starting, I tend to start from a place of theme or loose genre or kind of story, think about that and just spend three minutes going, here's all the verbs that I associate with this because it immediately gets you into a mindset of what are people going to do? The fundamental interesting thing about LARP is people interacting with other people and getting to the verbs really helps you with design stuff later on. Then you've got structure, which is what happens when. This can also be expressed as when are you going to give people more information? Because you might go freeform. I'm using the word freeform here a little bit strangely. There is a type of LARP called freeform LARP that's not precisely what I mean here, but it's the best word for this context. Um, but so freeform, you give them the information at the beginning, it starts, then they do whatever they want, and then it ends. Uh, if it's prompted, you might set up prompts that they can refer to during play if they want to. But that does mean you might not get to one of the prompts, e.g. prompt B, and they might all happen out of order. Um, or you might have something that is a bit more structured in the sense that you go, well, you're going to start by having a call about your son's time at university. Then you're going to write this letter to your mother and then you're going to have this Zoom call with your son. Um, whether you use these different structures will depend on a lot of factors. For instance, Scenic is used, I find, in quite a lot of digital LARPs where you might be handling like 30 different people all in different channels, all in different breakout rooms and having that timer really assists you. So characters, who am I going to play? Again, it's about what information are you giving people and what do they get to decide? So three kind of rough examples on the scale of they decide a lot to they decide less. When I say they decide, I mean they're deciding a lot when you're making the character and they decide less when you're making a character. They will still decide a lot about the character during the actual play itself. So you can have a questionnaire that just prompts answers about things. You could have a skeleton that tells them certain minimal facts. It might still give them a little bit of choice. 
Um, also, you'll start to notice with the skeleton, rather than the questionnaire, you might get more of a sense of what the world is um, and gives you a little bit more context there. Then you've got something like a full biography. Now, again, you might have different reasons for using these different things. You might go, I don't have much time to have people making their characters. I want to go full bio. You might also go, actually, the thing that I want to explore, all the themes and such like, it's necessary to build a lot of very specific characters with very particular dynamics so people are zoning in on that thing to explore, therefore full bio. You might want people to have a little bit more freedom and feel like they have more input, therefore you go for like a skeleton or a questionnaire. It's just about how you're delivering the information. <laughs> um, the other thing is basically, that's kind of about information delivery or amount of information delivery then you have what information you're actually going to give them. And John Harper is a tabletop roleplay game designer who's made things such as Lady Blackbird. And he has the four Cs. I've, these are the four Cs, but I've just kind of summarized them in a slightly different way. And basically, you need to give people at least enough information or get them started so that they can walk into a space and know how to roleplay with another person. If I'm a CEO in a cyberpunk world, I don't know whether I'm disgraced. I don't know whether people like me, whether they don't, whether it's meant to be secret that I'm meeting up with this person, etc. And typically thinking about their connections to the world. Uh, so who do they know? What things are they associated with? What groups are they a member of? Their capability? What resources do they have? What things can they do? What do they have access to? Their commitments? What are their principles? What are they trying to do? What are their loyalties, etc.? And then conflict kind of emerges out of the former three. But if you think about these and give these to a player, that's going to support them in then role playing. So I always find these quite useful to come back to in terms of character design. Then rules mechanics. What can I do and how am I going to do it? These are my definitions of rules and mechanics. They might be slightly bastardized, um, but basically rules are a way of giving your players permission, instruction, boundaries, incentives, etc. that just uh, obtain throughout the course of the game. And then mechanics is anything that you're expressing in the way of if then, if X, then Y. If you do this, this will happen. And one thing that I wanted to zone in a little bit here is because we're talking about writing, um, something I personally think is really important with LARP design um, is word choice and being really specific about how you communicate things to your players because it might sound a little bit highfalutin, but you are creating a community of play for that evening, for that game, for that period that you're playing. And that might mean that you want people to, you know, if you're a classic kind of North American, New York style LARP, you're gonna be doing a competitive style LARP with different groups that are all fighting out for something. If you're doing a Nordic style LARP, you are playing to lose and to put other people in the spotlight. Um, that's the kind of thing that you have to communicate to people, but often it's not you just saying, this is the community of play we're having. It's through how you express the elements of your game. So if you had a mechanic that say was equivalent to, if you show someone a visual prompt, e.g. a card, that person tells you new information about their character that was previously private, you can express both of those things in these two different ways. They express the same like physical action, but because of the language they use, saying about compelling someone to confess a secret, saying about entrusting you with a secret, it immediately, even in a small thing with wording, 
gives people a slightly different idea of how they're going to interact with each other, the attitudes they're going to have, both as characters and as players. And I think getting really specific with word choice is sometimes worth it, because this is the kind of thing that, well, we're just about to get to onboarding, uh, but a facilitator will relay this to players. So this is the information that they will get told. No, that's too far. Yes. Um, another thing that you will be looking at is safety slash communication tools. They're typically called safety tools. I've started calling them communication tools myself sometimes because if you've got a group of people, often people who don't know each other, and sometimes, especially because I specialize in games that encourage new players, so you've got people who are new to each other and new to playing LARPs, then it's really important that they can communicate with each other and they have clear roads of communicating. Sometimes I say that part of this is helping people unlearn what the world has taught them. Because <laughs> um, in certain LARP circles, you want to make it really easy for someone to go, Owen, I've got a problem. Can you help me? Um, and to know that Owen will immediately help me and to feel comfortable in that. But the world has taught us that that is a difficult thing to do. Um, so these are some examples. If you read a lot of LARP scripts, um, and I was surprised when I first heard that they were called LARP scripts, but that's what people seem to call them. Um, basically, you will become familiar with some of these techniques. For instance, cut slash break, where if you say cut during a scene, you pause that scene, you deal if there's any issues. If you say break, it just means we need to slow this down. It's getting a bit too intense for me, but I want to continue. Um, I've got some links to places you can find LARP scripts at the end of this, but you'll very quickly be familiar with some of the go-to um, tools that are around. Not now. Sorry, sorry, it sounds like I'm saying it to you two on the side. Um, onboarding. I'm using this in kind of a general sense. Sometimes in a LARP context, it will be called the workshop. Uh, but this is basically when you prep everyone whilst they're physically there to play the game. I know in theatre context, often that means like from the moment they've bought their ticket and things that happened before. I'm talking about people in a room together. So this is the info you're going to pass on to them in some way. Uh, other more ephemeral things you're going to want to pass on in the onboarding is stuff like they need to know that they're going to be OK playing this game, that they're not going to be made to feel embarrassed for role playing, that they can be safe with these other people. If it's a LARP that involves a lot of emotional exposure or vulnerability, that it's OK for them to do that and they've got ways to deal with that. Also, if it's one with tricky or weird themes, they need to know that, for instance, I would like to know during a LARP that spiders aren't going to come up because I'm deeply arachnophobic. Um, there's kind of a more ephemeral thing there, which is partially in how you communicate this information and also what safety tools you bring up, that kind of thing. In terms of, it's both a case, thank you so much, Nicole. Um, it's both a case of the information that you need to give them and how you're going to give it to them or create that information. Um, so these are just some ways that say if you were making characters at the beginning of a LARP, ways you might do that. Um, often things like structure and scenario, you'll not be creating with them as much, though there are LARPs where you just sit down and we go, here's the theme, let's start building the world we're going to be in. Um, but these give you some examples of ways you create those things. To be honest, a lot of them very similar to theatrical devising techniques. Um, then, very briefly, playtesting. Um, this is my thoughts about playtesting. Just do it quickly. You don't have to playtest the whole thing. You can playtest a bit of the thing. When I say do it without embarrassment, I mean don't apologize for presenting some people with something half made. 
Um, it takes a while to get past it, but I promise the moment you start getting past it, it really helps. Um, paper play tests. Make something with the minimum necessary materials. This also applies to other immersive forms. You can just give someone a piece of paper that says Book of the Dead on it, and they'll happily imagine that it is, is the Book of the Dead. You don't need to make the prop. And then in terms of facilitators, because some of the LARP work that I've done has involved like a small hub of performer facilitators. I'm happy to talk about that language later, but I'm basically at time. Um, if you're thinking, how do I prepare these people? How do I rehearse them, etc.? Ask yourself why they're there. Are they meant to be there so someone can go to them and go, Owen, oh, what is the castle that lives in the sky with the black crystal in it? If they need to be able to answer that, make sure they have all that information. But if they're just there to like help people role play or give them an easy person they can go to where they know what's going to happen, that tells you, the answer to that question will tell you what they need to be able to do. And this is my last one. Further resources. Um, if you want to write LARPs, I would recommend doing all of these things. Uh, Mohoka is a LARP write that I really rate. Uh, you've got things like The Smoke, which should soon release like tickets for individual LARPs uh, late March. Um, the only thing on here that isn't free or very, very cheap, because there's a really good free PDF of this online, the only thing that isn't free or really cheap is Empire. But if you want to see what it's like when three and a half thousand people all have creative agency to create their own content and do whatever they want, go to Empire just for a weekend. Um, and that's my talk. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. It's really wonderful to have LARP, kind of the weird sister of immersive theatre, brought into that bigger uh, idea of immersive experience or live location-based immersive experience. So thank you ever so much, Chloe. That was a really insightful um, presentation that she did there. And again, I am so excited to be collaborating with the Immersive Experience Network and bringing all of this really, really interesting and really helpful knowledge exchange to a much larger audience than we could reach on the 20th of February in London. So that was the second of the four instalments. Um, so keep your ears open for the rest that will be heading your way very shortly.